going to be continuing on this morning uh, in our 100 days of prayer. And as we've said, um, we've looked at, at praying for uh, our souls in January. We looked at praying for our city in February. We're looking now at praying for uh, our land in, in March. So um, just as we turn there, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8. And we're in, on page 1101. 1101. Uh, if you want to pick up a church Bible or look it up on your phone or it'll be on uh, the screen uh, behind us. So um, this week, uh, here today and during the week, and hopefully in, our, uh, in your personal devotions, uh, you'll, you'll be praying for our land. And so this, this passage here in Acts 8, there's, it's just ram full of different exciting stuff, and it's it's chock-a-block, actually, with, with things going on in there. Uh, we won't have time to look at them all this morning, but uh, I want to look at it in the context of praying for our land and praying even for uh, our enemies. So, reading there from, from verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered uh, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who, who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, They sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Peter and John placed their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may receive, forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan 
villages. Amen. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your presence with us by your Spirit and your word this morning. Father, we ask that you would please speak clearly to us as we continue on now, as you would speak. May our hearts be responsive. Lord, would you speak for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So praying for an awakening, praying for an awakening amongst all people, even our enemies, I would say that this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where it gets really exciting. You see, this is where it gets really authentically Christian or not. Because Jesus said uh, it's easy to pray for those who love us, and, and, and we know that it's easy to pray for our friends and for those, our family, and for those who, who like us and who are like us. Jesus said even the pagans could do that. You see, anybody can do that, but Jesus' followers always go further. Jesus' followers go the extra mile. You see, that marks out someone who's following Jesus from someone who isn't. Any ordinary person can pray for family and friends and and, and people who are like them, but Jesus' followers pray for family and friends and people who are like them and people who aren't like them and for people who don't like them. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did, and it's, it's what he taught his followers to do. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus says, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You see, love for enemies reflects the heart of the Father, of our Father in heaven, who loves us and them. But loving our enemies, it's just such a hard thing to do, isn't it? Because it's easily to have been hurt. We we, we may have been genuinely hurt. We may have been cut deep. We may have suffered in some terrible ways. And some people in this land have. It's just not easy. It doesn't come naturally to us to love our enemies. So this is where it must start. This is where it must start. At the cross. At the cross because while we were still enemies of God, Jesus died for us. As St. Paul writes, he said, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. You see, while we were still his enemies, while our mocking voices cried out among the scoffers, he died for you and for me in our place so that we wouldn't have to. Amazing grace. Amazing grace reconciling us to the Father who loves us. So that we could have life, life in all its fullness, even life eternal, and become channels of that grace and life out to others. You see, Jesus died for us while we were still his enemy. And before that, as he lived here on earth, Jesus demonstrated his love for his enemies. He deliberately visited and ministered to his people's old enemies, those Samaritans. He he deliberately told that parable about the good Samaritan that challenged his own people's bigotry. He deliberately forgave those who crucified him and made breakfast for those who denied him to death. Jesus has this wonderful ministry of of reconciliation. He's on a mission to make all things one 
in himself. Jesus is the model and his followers follow. He has passed that mission, that ministry on to us. And we see that coming through clearly here in the life of the early church. We've read from Acts 8 and in the passage before that, Acts 7, we see there Stephen, the first Christian martyr, being martyred, being killed for his faith. And as he is martyred, Stephen prays, Father, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen is following Jesus, praying for his enemies. So how are we doing? Are we following Jesus? Are we following Jesus? Because if we are, then we will be praying for and taking the gospel to those who we have considered our enemy. That's what Jesus did. That's what Christians do. And today and through the next couple of weeks, we'll be praying for our enemies. But first off, I want to say this. First off, I want to say that praying for others does not mean that we are necessarily agreeing with anything, with everything or anything that they think or say or do. It doesn't mean that. Praying for them does not mean that we are, we are endorsing their doctrinal position. Praying for them does not mean that we are praying for the success of their particular political project. Praying for them does not mean that we are praying for the implementation of their personal or professional agenda. It doesn't. It doesn't. No, when we pray for our enemies, we are praying for them the exact same thing as we're praying for ourselves. We are praying that God, by His Spirit and His Word, would grant them an awakening. That God would grant them repentance, forgiveness, salvation, freedom in Christ. As He stretches out His hand to bring healing and reconciliation to build this church across this land and to glorify Himself. That's what we're praying for. Now, I, I want to say that I, I don't like the idea of even having enemies. I just don't like that idea. I don't go looking for conflict and I don't thrive on it the way some people out there seem to. I'd just much rather have friends than enemies. And some of that is hopefully to do with God's work of grace in in my heart, but it's also, I think, something of remembering a little bit of practical advice that my dad gave me growing up. He said, Gary, do your best to make friends and not enemies. Because he said, friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. Did you ever notice that? It's true, isn't it? Friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. So we do well to make friends and not enemies. And I suppose that idea of even labeling people as enemy, I don't even like the idea of labeling people as enemies because when we do, it kind of paints them into a corner. And, And then they kind of treat us the way you would expect an enemy to treat you. I'd much rather prefer to talk of people that, with whom I currently have a difference of opinion, with people with whom there is the hope of reconciliation. Because, you see, Jesus is the reconciler. Jesus came to bring reconciliation. As he draws us to faith in him, he draws us together, he comes to reconcile us to God. So we become reconciled to one another through faith in him. As Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, he says, there is no longer Jew or Greek. Massive statement. No longer slave or free, male or female, all are one in Christ, he says. You see, that is our hope. That is our prayer. 
That is how we approach anyone with whom we have a difference, hoping and praying that God will move by His Spirit and His Word and that we can be one with them in Christ. That's the bottom line of our prayer. And of course, I think ignorance is one big thing that stops us from being reconciled to other people. Ignorance, you know, seeing others, seeing them from a distance, but never actually meeting and never sitting down, never chatting things through. That's been one of the big problems in Northern Ireland. Protestants and Roman Catholics, nationalists and unionists, maybe now Christians and Muslims or people with with different sexual orientations or, or immigrants with different ethnic or cultural backgrounds. You see, in Northern Ireland, I think we've lived in a kind of a self-imposed apartheid. And that has just fed into our ignorance and division. But we must, we must work to break down ignorance, to break down those walls, to give ourselves the opportunity to meet others and to get to know them, to make space where we can share our differing opinions and our positions, to try to understand one another. As one African proverb says that it came across, it says this, it says, when I saw him from afar, I thought he was a monster. When he got closer, I thought he was just an animal. When he got closer still, I recognized that he was a human. And when we met, I realized that he was my brother. There's some food for thought in there, isn't there? As I said, I don't like the ideas of having enemies, and probably most of us don't, but sometimes, you know, it just happens. It just happens. We live in a fallen world. And I don't know what, you know, who or what you may consider to be your enemies, but as we look at this passage from Acts 8, we see a number of different ways that enemies might present themselves. And we see a number of different issues of conflict mentioned there. So first of all, we see a group of people. And a group of people, and the issue here is, is religious animosity. On that day, it says a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. The church was persecuted by a group of people. And in the previous chapter of Acts, in Acts 7 and verse 54, it tells us who that group of people were. It was the Sanhedrin. It was the, the Jewish religious leaders. And they had been felt threatened by this new Jesus movement. And they had had Jesus crucified, and now they were out to get the church as well. And the persecution of people because of their faith, it continues today, doesn't it? It continues to all sorts of people because of all sorts of faith. But Christians today are the most persecuted group of people in the world, it would seem. According to statistics, more Christians died for their faith in the 20th century than in all the other centuries put together. But how did the church react to their persecutors? How did the church treat their persecutors? Verse 59 of chapter 6. As they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. And he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. As he was being murdered by his enemies, Stephen prayed for them. Prayed that God would forgive them. It's massively challenging, isn't it, for any of us who may feel in some way persecuted by an enemy. But do we have a group of people with whom we have a difference of opinion? Is someone opposing us because of our faith? Who is our Sanhedrin? And are we praying for them? 
The second way our enemies may come to us is here in verses 4 to 8 and verse 25. A people group. A people group. And the, 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 the Jews and the, were a people group that, with the Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans were people groups who were historically uh, their enemies. Two groups of people holding a historical animosity towards one another. Does that ring any bells? Might there be something in here for us? So the second way is is through a people group. And the issue here is is one of historical animosity. You see, when Israel was invaded by the Assyrians and conquered in 722 BC, many of the Hebrew people were carried off into exile. But those who who remained, they they married and intermingled with, with the foreigners who had came in and with, with uh, neighboring tribes. Same thing happened in 586 when the Babylonians came down and, and carried off most of the Judeans off to Babylon. Some remained in, in Judea. And they intermingled and they married with the, the neighboring tribes and the invading Babylonians. So then when the Jewish exiles returned from Babylon, they considered themselves to be the racially and, and, and religiously pure, and they refused to, to have anything to do with, as they saw it, these ethnically, racially, religious, mongrel Samaritans. And they wouldn't let them come and worship in their newly restored temple in Jerusalem. So the Samaritans, they built themselves another temple in in Mount Gerizim, an opposing place to worship. And, And the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans just grew and grew and grew over the years. In John 4, talking of them, it tells us simply that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That was simple as that, the way it was. They were at loggerheads with one another. In Luke's Gospel in chapter 9, we read that Jesus and his disciples, and remember that Jesus and his disciples, the first disciples were from a Jewish background. And they were forbidden by the Samaritans from going through Samaria. And at that time, when that happened, John and his brother James, they begged Jesus, they said, call down fire from heaven and just zap these Samaritans. Well, James and John obviously hadn't quite gotten with the Love Your Neighbor program just yet. But it doesn't take a massive stretch of the imagination, sure it doesn't, to sort of understand their thinking. But Jesus, then Jesus came, Jesus spoke and acted into this ancient Jewish and Samaritan division and the hatred that was there. Jesus came and he broke down the walls. Jesus went and ministered in Samaria. John mentions, for instance, in chapter 4 of his gospel, Jesus meeting with the woman at the well in Samaria. Luke records the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, of course, that parable was so striking because of this historical animosity between the Jewish listeners and the Samaritans. In the Jews' eyes, there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. In the Jewish eyes of the time, there's an oxymoron right there. Good Samaritan. No such thing. And Jesus, but Jesus told this shocking parable to call out his fellow country people's bigotry, actually. And following his death and resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and where? In Samaria. In Samaria. So now Jesus' mission to the Samaritans is continuing to be fulfilled through Philip and, and the, early church, the early church. And Philip, we meet in, in Acts chapter 6. He is one, along with Stephen, who was selected to carry out the practical duties of caring for the church. And as he served the Lord, then Philip the the deacon becomes Philip the evangelist. 
And Philip was among those who was driven out of Jerusalem by the persecution of the church, by the Sanhedrin, and and by, by Saul, who would later become Paul. And there again is this wonderful story of reconciliation. By this great inbreaking of, of the Spirit, Philip and, 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 and Saul, who would become Paul, would become part of the same church, would become one because of this work of awakening that God worked in both of their hearts. So the Jews historically had no dealings with the Samaritans, but the Spirit led Christians dead. And Philip came to Samaria full of the Spirit, driven by the mission and the love of Christ. It tells us in verse 5 that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And verse 25, when it talks about Peter and John, it says they preached the gospel in many Samaritan villages. It was like they were all over it. It wasn't just a quick sort of, you know, smash and grab or hit and run or something. They were in the city, in the villages. And when they believed... What happened when they did? Well, the Samaritans believed. It says, when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Men and women believing the message that was proclaimed amongst them in Samaria. So, as a people group, as we have historically, who have we historically maybe seen or treated as our enemies? And what are we to do about it? Well, what about doing what Philip did? How about praying for them and then going to our Samaria? Sharing the good news of the Messiah there. I, I, I'm sure that's what this story is about. You'll see on the back of, as Gareth has already mentioned, you'll see on the back of your um, bulletin or on your e-bulletin, um, As we pray for awakening across the land of Ireland, north and south and east and west, as a session, we are encouraging members of Orangefield to go and pray with other people in other parts of the island. Now, that could, as Gareth said, could mean going and and praying with a friend or family or ministry that you're familiar with somewhere else in Ireland. And that would be a good thing to do, it would. But what about being a little bit more adventurous? What about going the extra mile? What about going into your Samaria? What about meeting some of your Samaritans? See, I remember having the opportunity uh, to be part of the very first street reach here in Belfast, and it was like nearly 20 years ago now, probably. And, and the first year, there was only one place, and it was the Shankill Road. So I bimbled off to the Shankill Road, and, and it was great, and I met some great people there. And uh, the flags were the same, and the flagstones were the same, and uh, it was all a little bit more intense, admittedly, but it was, it was a great uh, few days, and I, I loved it. Same tribe, same cultural sort of tribe, we might say. Then the next year I got the opportunity, and it was two places to go, and it was the Shankle and the Falls. It was all becoming a little bit more interesting. And, uh, and so... I choose the Falls Road because as a Cumber boy, I'd never been anywhere like that before. And it was a real eye-opener in a really good way. Got to meet some great folks there, working alongside the folks of of St. Peter's Cathedral to to listen to one another, to learn from one another, to discuss, yes, to discuss some differences, but ultimately to work together to bless the community. And I guess I was in one of my Samarias. 
Next Sunday, a group of us are going from Orangeville, a group of seven. We're heading off down to Nice in County Kildare, and we're, uh, where we have a partnership with a local Presbyterian church there. Uh, and I have to say, for a time growing up, well, I wouldn't have crossed the border because for me, well, that was just enemy territory. It was one of my Samarias. I know, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not on my own with this sort of rem- memories, shall we say. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, growing up in Northern Ireland in the 60s and 70s, it was interesting. But, yeah, that would have been out of the question. But things have changed, and, and yeah, God has been at work in my heart and in my life. And over the years now, I've made many a, a, a trip over the border, and I've met some wonderful people there from the east and south, from the north, south, east, and west, Protestant, Roman, Catholic, and other. And as I said, some of us going down uh, next week to Nice and, and to worship and fellowship with the folks there. But, and yes, that's over the border, but well, it's with fellow Presbyterians. It's kind of, well, that would be easy, like, wouldn't it? It's kind of nearly cheating. But, but, but it's, we're really looking forward to going. I can't wait. It's lovely. It'll be lovely to meet with the folks from Nice. They've been up here. We've been down there. It'll be wonderful to be there next Sunday morning. But I also have another idea, and I haven't shared this one with the rest of the team yet. I'm sure they'll be gracious and accommodating, and uh, we'll work out some way of doing this. If Anyway, so I have another idea, and here it is, Bowdenstown. Now, Bowdenstown, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, or Theobald Wolftone, but Bowdenstown is the, bur- the burial place of Wolftone, and Wolftone is considered to be the father of Irish republicanism. Quick, quick history lesson for you. He was arrested by the British for his part in the United Irish Rebellion of 1798. And he died shortly afterwards in prison. So there is a big rally, a big Republican rally in Bowdenstown every June on the anniversary of Tone's death. Well, Bowdenstown is three miles north of Nice. And with just a wee teeny weeny weeny bit of a detour, Bowdenstown is on our way home. Okay. So if the Lord spares me, and he tarries until next Sunday afternoon, and uh, the rest of the team can accommodate me, I'm going to stop in Bowdenstown. And I'm going to be in one of my Samarias, I guess. And I'm going to say a prayer there. And I'll use the same prayer for awakening that's in our book that I'll pray at the end of this talk here at Orangefield. So let me ask you, where is your Samaria? Who are your Samaritans? And when are you going to go there and pray for them and maybe even share the gospel, the good news of the Messiah with them in some way? So, so far we've looked at a group of people uh, and religious animosities. We've looked at a people group and historical animosities. Let's finish by looking just briefly at an individual. And the issue here is personal or professional animosity. In the city of Samaria, where Samaria, where Philip preached, there was a man by the name of Simon. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. A sorcerer, a magician. And like many magicians of his time, by sleight of hand, Simon had amazed people with his tricks and gained for himself... Well, a bit of fame and quite a comfortable living, it would appear. 
And here's the thing. So as Philip and Peter and John and the guys start to talk about Jesus and start to share the good news of the gospel, people start to follow Jesus. And Simon starts to lose his following and his fame and his income. You see, Simon's problem was personal and professional. It was to do with his work. It involved his finances. It involved his fame. He didn't want to lose the business. He didn't want to lose the finances that were coming in from that trickery. trickery. His trickery was gaining him. And he even offered, look, he even offered to pay Peter and John for the ability to impart the Holy Spirit to others so that he could add that trick as well to his bag. And maybe charge a little bit or plenty or lots. I don't know. Make himself look even bigger and better. But Philip and, and the guys are having none of it. But that's where the word simony comes from. Seeking some form of religious power or authority by paying for it. And, but it's wonderful again, this reconciliation that takes place. Simon, the sorcerer, started out opposed to Philip and Peter. But as they shared the good news of Jesus with him. And as they warned him, yes, of the dangers of God's judgment that would be on him if he continued as he did. Simon himself believes. Tells us he, he believed. Tells us he was baptized. Tells us in verse 24. Simon asked Peter, pray to the Lord for me. This one who had once been in opposition to the church became a follower of Jesus as they boldly but graciously proclaimed the grace and truth of the gospel. So who are the individuals that are coming up against us in our lives? Perhaps for personal reasons, perhaps for professional reasons, perhaps for financial reasons. Who is, who is your Simon the sorcerer? And are we praying for them? So just as I finish, praying for a great awakening amongst all people, even our enemies, is there a group of people who is our Sanhedrin? And are we praying? Let's be praying for them. Let's be praying for them. Is there a people group who are our Samaritans? Let's be praying for them. Is there an individual who is our Simon the sorcerer? Let's be praying for them. And as we do, let's remember that this is where it all starts. Let's be inspired and driven by the love that God has for us and for all people. Jesus dying and rising again, again to make us friends, to make us his friends together. Let's remember the commandment to love our enemies, to pray for them. Let us seek to love all people. And let us pray for a great awakening amongst all people and all to the glory of God. So shall we pray for a moment? Let's pray. And using that prayer from our hundred days of prayer handbook, Lord, we pray for a great awakening in our souls, our city, and our land. May your people be awakened in prayer for the sake of our nation. We ask you to awaken our souls in confession of sin and repentance by your spirit and your word to your mission and call. We pray for an awakening in this great city of Belfast that it would experience widespread revival in the name of Christ through an invasion of the spirit as the church is set on fire and fearless followers stand for Christ. We pray for an awakening in this great land of Ireland, north, south, east, and west, that all peoples, even those we have treated as enemies, even the hardest of hearts would experience the compassion and grace of Christ. And all across this land, lives would experience salvation and freedom in Christ, 
as the demonic is driven out and satanic strongholds are shattered. God, we ask that you would stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in your mercy, we pray for a great awakening in our souls, our city, and our land. Amen. Amen. Amen.